This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the children just heard from Mark 2 about Jesus uh, and that paralytic being lowered through the roof. And for some of you, as we read the Song of Solomon, you are paralyzed like the paralytic because you don't know what to do with that book. You don't know what to do with the Song of Solomon. Uh, it just seems like a book that you've never, ever heard a, a person preach on, or certainly not just on a Sunday. You might get away with it in a wedding. So, Pastor, good luck. And you're here so you could hear it. You wanted to see what would take place when we look here. The sadness I would expect is because we live in a hyper-sexualized world, even though you may not know it, you heard we were going to do Song of Solomon, and you got, you'll, you may never say this publicly, you got nervous. You're like, we can't do this. We should skip this book. He should do two weeks on Isaiah. Yes, two weeks on Isaiah. That would be good. That would be better for our church. We should not do the one that mentions that husbands and wives, well, you know, we don't, yeah. Yet when there's a child born, we're all totally jazzed about that. But this whole Song of Solomon thing, we don't quite know what to do with it. Do you remember the birds and bees conversation? Do you guys actually remember the conversation? My brother and I have had this conversation like very loosely. Do I ever remember my parents really having the birds and the bees conversation? Or do I just remember all the years of being told there would be a birds and the bees conversation? So I just filled in the blanks and then gave my parents credit. Like, I don't really, honestly, I mean this, I honestly don't know. So I guess by not knowing, maybe that's my answer. Isn't that odd, though? We don't even know if we had that conversation. I'm speaking of myself. I, can't, I, I don't know what, what your parents did for you, but it was just so awkward that we shouldn't talk about it. Again, pastor, we're encouraging you now, jump to Isaiah, let's not do it. You still have a chance. You can still avoid this. What I want you to do is start in the beginning. Because to read Song of Solomon, you've got to understand God has foundational things that are laid out for us. So go to Genesis 2 if you want. Uh, that's great. If not, I'm just going to read it to you. Genesis 2, uh, verse 22 to 25. See, the gift of sexuality is actually something God gifted to us. That's why it's called a gift. But we live in a world that's hyper-sexualized and has distorted it, so Song of Solomon seems awkward to you. Here's Genesis 2, 22 to 25. And you guys are comfortable with this. Don't worry, safe text. Well, maybe. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Still safe. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We don't live that way. None of you have lived in that world. None. Not a single one of you. And that's sad. So when you read Song of Solomon, you've never lived in a Genesis 2 reality. The truth is God makes it of all shapes and sizes. This has nothing to do with shape and size. This is the fact that two people can't be naked and it's okay. I even just said the word naked three times in a sermon, and you feel awkward. 
I'm serious. I know you do. Can you won't tell me? You're like, it is weird. You shouldn't say these words. And remember, that's a consequence. Like you always wonder where sin would actually, what does it feel like? It's this tension that we have right now in the room. It's a tension over a gift God gave you, and you feel like a pastor shouldn't talk about this tension point. We should just avoid it. This is how it is like with, with work. We don't want to confront someone, but here is about something that's a gift of God, and we don't seemingly want to discuss it. So verse 25 of Genesis 2 is exactly that. Sins distorted this gift. But Jesus himself will affirm Genesis 2 in Matthew 19. And we're going to look there. So turn to Matthew 19, uh, and then I'll display a little bit, but I'm going to give you the introduction before we look there. So Matthew 19, uh, it's the front few verses. But Jesus is confronted with a question about marriage and divorce. So this is his setting. So he's asked about divorce, and is it okay to have that? So this is how Matthew 19 begins, and I'll give you verse 4 to 6 in a moment on the screen. But let me just give you the background. I'll read it to you. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, uh, Matthew uses this uh, when he finished these sayings as a transition to tell you something news coming in his, uh, in his gospel account. Now, when Jesus had finished these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? This is the setup. This is just the setup. I'm giving you a background so that when we go here, you'll understand what Jesus is doing. He's responding to a setup question, can you get divorced? We're not reading this for divorce. We're reading it to understand Genesis 2. Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6. He answered, have you not read, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then you guys have like, oh, wow, boom. Like you guys are just right now, you just had this moment where you're like, that's in the wet, that's in wedding rites, isn't it? What God put together, let no one put asunder. Except now they strip that from some weddings I've been to. I'm not saying church weddings, but if you've ever been to someone, that's gone. Because they're changing who's actually shaping this gift. See, when gifts get distorted, it happens slowly, and you don't actually recognize it until it's too late. Uh, and so it is here. It's so late that Song of Solomon feels awkward, but it's not too late. We're going to bring it back. Song of Solomon's your book. It's all right. It's safe. It's okay reading. But you've got to understand it's a gift that God has given to us. So God has a lot to say about marriage relationships, more than most married couples probably want to admit, because most married couples want to believe that who is right in their relationship. Good. One person said it, me. That's right. Most people in a marriage relationship would like to believe that me is right. I mean, it's not, it's not fun, and, and, and whether it's marriage or not, any relationship, you'd like to believe who's right? Me. Because you believe that you are living your life to the best of your abilities. Few people live life going, I'm going to do this wrong. They may do it differently, but they actually think what they're doing is the proper way to go. So here we have this unique picture but Solomon's writing here, he's written two other weeks. So we got to build. As I was unpacking in the Sunday school hour prior to this to remind people, you got to read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes to get to Song of Solomon. Because there's a whole lot about family and there's a whole lot about marriage in those other books. And you don't get to have all the fun unless you've actually done some studying, done some prep work. How many of you have ever 
built like something for cars, like little matchbox cars. You ever build like a little mountain so you could slide cars around or ever uh, build with blocks? Just, I mean, as a kid, like just building something. Could have been Legos. And it took lots of trials to get the car to actually go. Did you ever try to build the bridge out of Legos and then you had to like reinforce it because you realized it took a little bit more? See, it takes time and practice to do these things. Uh, any good relationship takes time and practice to learn. And sometimes, trust me, don't do it with a real car, but with a little matchbox car, it's okay if it falls the four inches of your bridge. But when it comes to using real people, God's got instructions so people aren't getting hurt. Now, I also want to acknowledge, as we're looking at Song of Solomon, not everyone here is married. I know that. This is a room filled with some people who are teenagers, early 20s, some who are divorced, some who have lost a spouse, and you're going, this doesn't do anything for me. But families are building blocks of society, and because of that, hearing what God has to say about this building block is important to us so that we all might move forward. Because we either walk together or we fall apart. Uh, it matters what happens next door. I'm not asking you to go knock on your door. My pastor said I should knock on your door and check and see how... Now, you can certainly ask how they're doing, but I'm not asking you to like, monitor them. But it matters that your neighbor actually is okay. Now, some of you are like, yeah, but again, Song of Solomon, I'm still not ready for it, Pastor. You're still on safe ground. Maybe it's not as bad as you think. The perversion is real. So listen to a couple things about how this goes. How many of you in this room have a smartphone? Did you know that you are like three, four, two, one, maybe five letters away from pornography on that phone instantaneously? We used to live in a world where it came in a nice plastic bag or other bag, and you know, no one, of course, got any magazine like that. But if they did, it was covered and no one would ever see it. It is now at your doorstep. The 12-year-old that gets the phone, it's there. Like instantaneously, unless you've set to stop it. The perversion is real. Uh, I was uh, reading the news last night, and there was a whole large article about what? Human trafficking. Do you know who we traffic? Young kids under the age of 18 who live in this country. That's who we traffic. It is our friends. It is our neighbors. Over the last few months, unbeknownst to you, uh, Mayor Lance Olive here in Apex, one of his neat kind of like passions uh, that he really wants to help in using his influence, he wants to stop human trafficking. So he's had churches gathering together to discuss how can we try to help churches, and it's in its infancy stages. But man, I've learned so much more about the town of Apex's police department, uh, some of the advocates that they have who are not actual officers, so that someone could interface with someone who's not an officer, but the town is actually paying to help this thing because the perversion is so real, uh, and these problems are happening. And the mayor doesn't have the solutions. Please, I'm not saying that he does. But I can tell you he's a man who goes, everyone matters. And that the dignity of human beings matters so much that I want to make sure that a little girl or a little boy is not hurt. And that that 20 or 30 or 40-year-old uh, who's engaged in the sexual activity or even older could be brought back to realize that God has something to say. And when you start hearing about human trafficking, you're like, get back to the Song of Solomon. It's safer there. Isn't it weird? Now Song of Solomon seems safe because we live in such a distorted and perverted world. So where's the battlefield? It is right here, ladies and gentlemen. It starts in your heart. Now, whether you want to make your heart the emotional center, or it's actually, Pastor, we now know the heart is just for blood. I get it. So fine. So it's in your brain. My point is that's the battlefield. It is happening here, and God's speaking into that very battlefield to help us move forward. 
But the church for too long has been afraid to discuss marriage, to discuss these realities, and to ever say the word sex. We can't even say the word sex. So the only place that you hear the word sex is, ready, you'll love this, the bachelor and the bachelorette. I know, but guys, isn't that good? I mean, heaven, I mean, have you ever, I mean, you're like, you watch this show? So I am aware that there are a few people who've been candidates on there who don't actually go to like the secret rooms. And they're like, well, I was just going to wait for sex until marriage. And the whole show's like, this is a terrible thing. Is it? But we've been silent to it. And some of you, someone in this room has watched that show. Someone. Because if no one watched it, it wouldn't be on. And it's gaining a hearing in our ears, and it is painting a picture of what marriage or preparation for marriage should look like. Once again, it turns out Song of Solomon looks a little better, doesn't it? So let's go. Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. So we're jumping right to the end. The book is wonderful poetry. It is wonderful poetry with images that some of you are like, wow. I mean, wow. Really? They can write that? They can say that? They can say sensual things? Yeah, it's God's gift because you don't live in Genesis 2.25 reality. You don't live in a world where being naked with your spouse is okay and you feel no shame. So you read Song of Solomon and you think, Genesis 3, fallen world, we need to cover this book up, we need to hide it, and never have our kids read it. But when you come home and they're watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, you don't say what? Shut it down, pull it out, you know, hey, we can't have this. You let them watch these other shows, and for some reason, a church, to mention Song of Solomon in a marriage that a husband and wife are enjoying each other's company and relationship, that's, that's dark and disgusting, because you say, but TV's different, Pastor. I'm not really convinced. I, I think there's a lot that distorts us. So the church needs to stop being afraid and start talking what God says. So here's Song of Solomon, verse 6 and 7. So this is, in this case, the Shulamite. You have this in conference or engagement between Solomon and the Shulamite. So a husband and wife. You kind of get these neat things where they start out together in the front of the book where they're, they're looking forward to being married, and then they're married, and you watch just this relationship bud and blossom and groom. And as it grows, you get here, later in the book, chapter 8. She writes, this is a Shulamite being recorded, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Now, most of you, someone joked about this during our Bible hour, don't think, like, you never wrote this in a love poem to your spouse. My love for you is like death. <laughs> Valentine's Day card, probably not going to have that. But let's think why it's being written. Love is as powerful as death. There are few things in this world as powerful as death in its finality. My love for you is like death in the sense that it changes what? Everything. For love is strong as death death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. You're like, man, that's a great poem. What a husband Solomon must have been. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Well, think about this. It's still describing love, that the love has a jealousy that is as fierce as the grave, that the love has so much connection to this person that they are in love with. It is like the very grave. I, I, nothing can separate us, because what's the greatest separation the world actually knows? Death and the grave. 
And this is why that refrain is we as an Easter people that you hear so many times on Easter, that death has lost its sting. Like that's a, that resonates for us as Christians. And now you've got Solomon using that very image in an inverse way. Saying, boy, I want my love to be as strong as death's power is over humanity without Christ. And you're going, whoa. I mean, using this, this image that crafts us in a different way. But the text then goes forth. And it says, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench it, neither floods drown it. Now, if you're thinking about floods and flood water, there is no greater image uh, of love and floods in the Bible, well, there's actually probably two you could draw. One is Noah, and he preserves in the midst of the flood, and the other is what? It is the Exodus account, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the fact that God allows the people to walk through on dry ground, and then the flood waters wipe out everything else. Think about this. Solomon knows these images. They're driving those images. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Floods can't drown love. But God has used floods and these images start flowing in. See, the greatest poets are always doing what? Connecting multiple things uh, at any given time. And Solomon's drawing so much together for us uh, at this one time. So the image reminds us of, of greater things. It reminds us of God's patience in the midst of life. And if you've been married or looking to be married or recently married or have been married for a lifetime or have lost a spouse, there's an interesting thing. One thing you had to learn in marriage, you had to, Patience. Had to. You had to learn patience. And if you didn't, you just got, <laughs> as Carolyn, you've told me many times, you just got opportunities to learn patience. So every day you're like, aha, a new opportunity to learn what I have yet to learn. So I was working uh, at a camp in upstate New York. It was a family summer camp. and They'd have Christian speakers come in uh, every week. Uh, so we came across one year, some of you may have, have heard of him, uh, the man's uh, speaker's name was Robbie Zacharias. Uh, he's an apologist, and, and Robbie does lots to talk about uh, how, the, you know, proving that the Bible is true in different pieces, and that's kind of his thing. So uh, the staff were there, and we had staff from all over the world. Uh, there were probably 150 of us or 200, uh, all college-age students, but several from Europe and different places. So we're, we're this, you know, mishmash of people all came knowing that we'd be at this camp in the summer. And they asked Robbie to speak to us. And they, <laughs> it's like a classic staff thing. <gasps> Robbie's going to be here. Great. We'll have him speak to these college students, these hormonal college students, uh, about dating. So Robbie Zacharias comes in. There's 200 sitting in the room. The staff's all there. Like, and again, to get 200 staff, this meant every adult in the camp is doing all the things that we're normally doing. So we got these two hours of Robbie like, to finally figure out dating. And Robbie walks in, <laughs> and he says, and like, if you've never heard him, it's this just amazing accent. So Robbie steps in, and he just goes, well, they have asked me to come here to talk to you about dating. I refuse. Man, we were all like, this guy is awesome. Like, I mean, if you want to glue in college students, like, rebuke authority, and like, you got us. So we were in. We we're all like, oh, at this camp, you rebuked authority? How? We are engaged with you. So here we are reading Song of Solomon this day, and Robbie, speaking to a bunch of hormonal college students, says, I refuse to speak to you about dating. He goes, instead, I want to talk to you about pleasure. And Robbie goes on to talk about two things. And he says, there is good pleasure in this world and there is bad pleasure. And what he described to us has stuck with me. And I mean, it'll stick with me the rest of my life. Robbie said, good pleasure has an upfront cost and back-end joy. Bad pleasure has upfront joy with a back-end cost. And then he went in to describe from the Bible all of these different things. 
And I can think of no better illustration of the Song of Solomon than exactly that. Solomon's experiencing the joy of marital intimacy with his wife. Now, some of you are like, well, Solomon had some errors. I know he did. But this side of glory, there's only been one man who's ever lived a perfect life, and it's not me. And yes, it wasn't Solomon. But we have this picture as Solomon paints a unique image of a husband and wife sharing intimacy with one another in their marriage bed and enjoying each other and really just enjoying writing to each other notes and others. Isn't it sad? I mean, could you imagine if they had to do this via text now? It'd be sad. When you actually have to write things down, it's actually so much better. You actually have to write out complete sentences and thoughts and other things. Instead, we'd read Book of Solomon and be like, I don't even know what those letters mean, and someone would have to like, tell you that it's shorthand for this or that. You don't get that. You get these wonderful images uh, that are crafted to show us what is taking place. And it all builds up then to realize that this good pleasure and bad frames our life. Because while the marriage bed has this wonderful joy for us, God's image of Song of Solomon is actually talking about what God's intention is for you in eternity. But right now, we're experiencing some front-end cost. Because <laughs> this side of glory isn't the way eternity is going to look. See, if Robbie Zacharias were to talk to us today about pleasure, he'd say, well, we're experiencing some trials and tribulations because better is coming. It's this front-end cost that we just don't always like. Uh, Solomon wrote this. Chapter 4, he describes a little more fully. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And now some of you are like, oh. I mean, that'll melt you. I mean, could you imagine if your spouse actually wrote to you and said there's no flaw in you? Some of you are like, they would never write that. But... I had a dream about it right now as you say it, Pastor, and that helps me. I, but again, if you haven't read Song of Solomon, you never heard that, so you never had the chance for God to go, wow, I mean, spouses could talk that way? This is actually a really good book. Yeah, it's amazing. Does that mean that Solomon always never had an argument with his wife? I would assume not. If they were like any other couple this side of glory, they probably had a disagreement here or there but they could think of no other person they wanted to disagree with than their spouse. That's a weird way to say it, isn't it? They could think of no other person to disagree with than their spouse. Yeah, yeah I know. For some of you, like, it makes sense. If it doesn't, I'm sorry, but the image is there. It's the person you want to make sure you're always in conversation with. The person whose relationship you would never, ever, ever want to lose. That's the power of what God intended in marriage. Two people being able to look at each other and say, I see no flaw in you. And the only way that a marriage can see that is that that marriage draws itself from the image of Christ who comes and covers all of us with his righteousness so that when God looks at you, you individual married or not, God says, I see no flaw in you. None. But you get these images because marriage you can see. Whether or not the example of the marriage in the house you grew up in was good or bad, you have an example. But in Song of Solomon, you then see, here's another example. That's what Song of Solomon is. Here's an example of how marriage may look. And if you read it, did it sound like Solomon and the Shulamite were having fun? I mean, just, I mean you could be a little raw, right? Were they having fun? Yes. 
Did God think that was an okay thing? He did. He actually did. Now, we don't need to go into any more detail because that would get way too awkward for you. The cool part is God wrote it down so you could read it. And I encourage you to because God wants you to know that there is no flaw in you and there is no flaw in marriage the way God intended it. None. And Jesus affirmed that in Matthew 19. And he cares for us and says, I made this so that the two would become one flesh. And that's not fun. The one flesh reality of marriage isn't fun because that means what? Who isn't always right? Yeah, me isn't always Nice, yeah. Was... Just so you know what I heard in my ears. I hope you all hear it. I think this isn't right, and I'm thinking me. And one person has to say out loud, you. See, this shows we have married people in this room. This is what's great. See, real things happen at Jordan Lutheran Church. But we have to be honest. And humor does what? It exhausts the tension and the reality that marriage isn't always fun. This side of glory. But it is an example of the relationship that God gives us in Christ so that we might experience the fullness of what God would have for us. And so we connect Song of Solomon, this great image of marriage, to John 16, our gospel. Because in it, you have this question. Uh, remember, it's this dialogue back and forth of, so disciples, are you confused by me saying I'm here, but then I'll be gone, and then I'll be back? Is that, you guys are kind of confused by that, right? And he answers them. And then in his answer to them, he actually paints this really wonderful picture that connects right into where we are this day. John 16, verse 22. Let me give you one verse in front just so you uh, can see where the text uh, was again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Talking about his departing and coming back. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22, so also... You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. This is where Song of Solomon transfers us to realize that what God's doing. There's this great picture of marriage, but guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It gets, it gets better. It gets infinitely better. I mean, it sounds like Solomon and the Shulamite are having a whole lot of fun, but let me tell you what. It pales in comparison to what God has in store for all of us. Married, single, divorced, widowed, it gets so much better. Because right now, you may be experiencing a season of sorrow. <laughs> Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and they're confused what he's talking about. Are you leaving? Are you staying? I don't, I don't get it. So, Pastor, I don't get what you're trying to do with the Song of Solomon this morning. I'm a little bit confused. I'm trying to remind you that God has for you instructions about how we would live life, that he cares about the intimate details of our family that he desires joy for all of us, but that it still is going to get even better than anything you've ever experienced. So if you're on the side now going, yeah, those were great times, but my spouse has passed. Well, it's going to get better. But if you're in the heyday right now and you're going, this is great, awesome, guess what? It gets even better. If you're a teen going, I don't even know if I want to get married. I've seen some of the strife that happens in marriages. Well, then I encourage you, read the Song of Solomon. God's got a gift for you. It's wonderful. But the greatest gift of all is the gift of his son who cleanses you and washes you so that God doesn't look at you like a spouse. God looks at you like the one who made you. And he says, there is not a flaw in you. You are my child. 
welcome, good and faithful servant. I will care for you every day that you live and breathe from now unto eternity. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.